You are listening to an MLGA Network podcast. Welcome back, dear friend. Thank you. I'd say it's good to be back, but that'd be a lie, and I don't want to hurt your feelings. Yes, you do. You're a bad liar. Well, let's not get wrapped up in the minutia. I see that there uh, wasn't an episode released in my absence. I guess maybe I'm not so replaceable after all, am I there, big guy? Have you ever considered that my week might have been and I didn't have time? No, because that's ridiculous. Who doesn't have the three hours it normally takes us to record an episode, you know, just readily available? I mean, you have 24 hours in a whole day. You needed a mere fraction. That's it. Have you thought that maybe I I didn't ask anyone because I didn't want to replace you? I don't believe you at all. I know you asked somebody, and I don't think people like you very much. That's why nobody filled in. I don't think people like you very much. That doesn't even make sense, because I have charisma. It's good to know how much you care about me. Don't think that way, baby doll. Don't call me baby doll. Mmm, too late. Welcome to Make Liberty Great Again, the best damn liberty podcast that you've never heard of. Phil and I will be your guides as we peer into the ridiculous reality of our society and our government. Let's get to it. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Make Liberty Great Again, a tale of two kitties. I'm your host, Cam Harless, and with me, as always, is my cold-hearted dickhead co-host, Phil Padilla. Thank you, White Chocolate. Wait, you know what? Never mind, I'm going to take that back. I'm not going to engage. I think it's about time we make Liberty Great again. Uh, again. Are you going to pass on an opportunity to regale us with your tales of your glorious work vacation? Well, I mean, if you insist... It was pretty nice. You know, the wife and I got to enjoy a little staycation for a few days on the company's dime. You know, there was great food. It was a lot of fun. Free drinks, which is, I mean, that's awesome. You know, it was the whole works. I mean, that sounds nice. Did you have to mingle and socialize with strangers? Yeah, that's the one thing that just, that almost wrecked the whole weekend. That sounds so terrible. I'll tell you what's terrible. Or more accurately, who's terrible? Joe Biden and that dork from Texas. Thank you for that absolute slam dunk of a segue uh it's good to be back where our dysfunctional asses belong i can't believe you know creepy uncle joe is really running for president i also can't believe he's leading the polls and referred to the 2020 election as a national emergency i mean dramatic much and you know he's trying to rally the democrats together to defeat derp you can't believe that do you not listen to me at all when i talk no i mean i could actually play you old episodes where i said that this was gonna happen but never mind don't worry about it Some people are dumb enough to want to go back to the old status quo. I mean, free shoulder rubs and hair sniffs for everyone. You know, I just, I really love how the left has become the party of, you know, everything that's white, male, and wealthy is inherently evil, but their front runner is a rich old white pervert. And the runner up to that guy is an ancient commie sellout who also happens to be a white dude. Bernie's white? Anywho, according to this New York Times article, a big inspiration for Biden's run was the Charlottesville March. I guess he's still upset that Trump said, you know, both sides had very fine people. You know, even though Trump explicitly denounced the violence, but didn't generalize that all people there were bad. I guess that's somehow evil. But did you watch uh, Joe Biden's announcement video? Actually, it made me think of the propaganda videos from Starship Troopers. According to Creepy Joe, our nation is in a battle for its soul. From what I've gathered, his entire platform is orange man bad. Quote, my North Star of what we're going to talk about in terms of the economy, is restoring the middle class, but looking at dignity, not just the GDP. Whatever the hell that means. 
what else do you got for me, buddy? Oh, well, our, our buddy Robert Francis O'Rourke uh, says we're going to get to net zero emissions by 2050, ah. and we'll ensure we're halfway there by 2030. Sure, sure. That's good. And, uh, you know, how does he plan on accomplishing that? Uh, by investing in people, communities, technology, and black magic, of course. All he needs is $5 trillion. I hope, since he wants $5 trillion, that's a lot of money. I hope he doesn't plan on printing it, you know, all like that was, you know, what Miss Cortez proposed. He actually pledged to do this through executive action starting on his first day in office. Well, that's ambitious and cocky for a dude who couldn't beat Ted Cruz. How do you not beat Ted Cruz? The dude looks like his face was made to be punched. And he's definitely the Zodiac Killer. Do you think this is going to be uh, Beto's flagship or Beto? Beto, Beto. Beta. His, uh, Beta. Mm, good one. Good one. That's why that's why you're you're in charge. Do you think this is going to be his main platform? I mean, recently he went on television spouting off that science and scientists are telling us that we only have 10 years left to make quote unquote bold changes regarding the climate. So, seems pretty important to him. We're actually one day closer to the great cow holocaust. Time to buy stock in Chick-fil-A. I mean, they're just really gonna lather rinse repeat the same alarmism until they eventually get all the power they want aren't they yep i'm still worried about the global cooling that they warned us about back in the day you know what's so distressing about the whole man-made climate change narrative is people they're, they're just going with it the opposition seems to be dwindling to be perfectly honest like haven't we and you know, by we i mean the people of this country you know learned by now that we shouldn't buy whatever you know agitprop the government is trying to sell us you know j- here's just a few events in my lifetime Iraq, Syria, the Affordable Care Act, Benghazi. And like I said, that's just off the top of my head. Not to mention this whole Russia disaster. People collectively in this country need to wise up and stop, I'm going to steal a boomer phrase here, drinking the Kool-Aid. That'll never happen. Never. That's why voting doesn't work. People are too drunk on statism. Also, um, Jim Jones used Flavor-Aid. That's just not as catchy. Nope. So it seems like there's some bullcorn going on in your former neck of the woods. Bullcorn? I'm just, I'm trying out new words so that you don't use the monkey sound effect on me. I doubt you can make it through the episode without that chimp. Ah, shut the f*** up. See? Ah, I mean, excuse me. Shoot. Getting back to what you're saying, yes, uh, there has been some, some bullcorn, I hate that, uh, going on. Uh, one of the U.S. Senators of Alabama, Doug Jones, decided to talk out of his ass this week. Tell me more. Well, Jonesy was talking to Dana Bash and told her that Alabamians are ready for restrictions on guns, including background checks and raising the age to buy assault rifles to 21. Ugh. Don't even get me started on the term assault rifle or assault weapons in general, but... Anyways, you're an Alabamian, Cam? That is correct. Ask me the question. You know you want to. Are you ready for restrictions on guns? Hard no. This little sissy who only won because someone called his opponent a pedophile went on to say, quote... People in Alabama love their guns, but they also love their children, and they love to be safe in theaters, and they like to be safe in churches, and I think there's common ground. That's a lot of ands. Tell me about it. He said and a bunch of times. <laughs> Thank you for your analysis. You're welcome. Can, uh, can you tell me why you hate children so much? Because they're loud. Do you know what makes me feel safe in a movie theater? A sidearm. All right, well, that's fair. What makes you feel safe in a church? The Lord. Hmm. Well, well played. Do you think there's any truth in what he's saying about your your Alabama folk? No, absolutely not. I spent most of my life in Birmingham, Alabama. That's arguably the most liberal part of the state. Do you know how many people I knew who owned guns? All of them? Almost. Uh, to be against guns and to not have any 
was an anomaly, not the norm. There is no common ground here. Not because Alabamians want to see their children shot or their church to be invaded by white supremacist douchebags, but because we all know that the safest place you can be is anywhere you are, as long as you're carrying. Amen. If Doug Jones doesn't learn how to read a room and come to an understanding of his constituents, the dude's not going to have a second term. Mark my words. Historically, Alabamians aren't known for taking too kindly to government overreach. Having socialist right laws against their guns will not be taken lying down. I hope you're right. I hope so, too. A mass shooting is much less likely to happen if there's someone there to stop it. True, true, and there's science and data to back that up. Here's some straight-up Orwellian shiznit I'm going to share with you. I assume you remember the tragic events that recently took place in New Zealand. I almost forgot. So, New Zealand's government made it illegal to possess, view, or distribute the video and or manifesto. That seems excessive. It gets worse. I believe it. Stop interrupting me. So, a businessman from Christchurch by the name of Philip Arps. Arps? Philip Arps? must be a pretty good guy. Alright, what did I just say? So, he's possibly facing 14 years in prison for sharing the video that was recorded by the gunman. What the f***? Arps. Please. Oh, see, now I can't even say it. Arps. <laughs> Arps pleaded guilty to two counts of distributing the mosque video and has been in jail and will remain in jail until his sentencing, which is set for June 14th. Now, uh, he's been accused of sending the video to an unknown party and requesting that they insert crosshairs and include a kill count. Prosecutors are also saying that he sent the video to approximately 30 associates of his. Woof. I mean, I agree that's a garbage thing to do, but there's no way in hell someone should serve 14 years in jail for something like this. I mean, there's literally no victim. Oh, I agree. This is like, you take something that's draconian and put it on steroids, and that's this. You know, I, so, I mentioned how the video and the manifesto were banned, but check this out, you'll get a kick out of this. They were banned by David Shanks, and he is New Zealand's chief censor. You heard me. Chief. Censor. Chief censor. This for real sounds like a bad sci-fi movie about the future. Like, that's an actual job title someone has in their government. I mean, these, these are scary times, my dude. That is ridiculous. I mean, I didn't share the video, but I did share the manifesto with interested parties. Um, I also got around to reading it eventually. Oh, yeah. How'd that go? Uh, it was stupid. He's really worried about how much sex white people are having. He's one of those 14 words guys, right? Correct. He called himself an eco-fascist. So it was a strange mixture of the worst possible things from the right and the worst possible things from the left. Wait, why are you telling me this? Because reading his words shows very clearly that the dude was not only deranged, but stupid. His hate-filled screed should be read because he discounts himself. I could go further into it, but we have more to talk about. We truly live in a clown world, man. Honk, honk, honk. honk. Police in England and Wales are distributing consent forms urging victims of sexual assault and other crimes to turn over access to their cell phones and other electronic devices or, get this, the police might drop their case. Holy privacy violation, Batman. No kidding. Uh, but let me ask you, do you think that this is a completely uncalled for violation of privacy, or do you think that the threat of uh, false rape accusations are prevalent enough that the accused deserve this level of defense? You know, that's a really good question. Yeah, when I first read the, the headline, uh, my first response was, well, that sounds like a threat and sounds very Orwellian. Give up your phone or no one will investigate your rape. But as I read a bit more, I started to think about the fact that there are false rape allegations that happen, and how this could sound like basic discovery. So, 
Although the idea that being forced to give up your phone to have your case investigated automatically comes across as a violation of rights. We have to look at the other hand, not letting an alleged rapist have the, um, you know, the means of a full defense is also not good. I mean, it's definitely nuanced, and you know, I've, I've got to think about it more. Um, you definitely have to take the emotion out of it to break this down. So, I mean, what do you think? Well, my you know, knee-jerk reaction is once you give something up to the government, you're never going to get it back. So starting to give up privacy seems like a potentially dangerous game to play with the government. But, you know, on the other hand, if I was the defendant and there was something on my accuser's phone that could exonerate me, I, you know, probably would want that reviewed as evidence. And I think that's the real problem here. This could very well be a part of the discovery process, but is that something that we want the cops to handle or to leave that up to the prosecution, the defense, and the judges? I'm not one to give the cops too much power. Me neither. You know, in my opinion, I believe it's something that could be worked out between the defense and prosecution. I think that the more cops are left out of that process, the better. I agree. I think that if we're living in a private system with private cops and investigators, I would be more than willing to say that it's fine if an investigator made that a condition of his investigation. You know, yes, I can investigate this rape for you, but I need to see your recent text messages and other communication during that time to ensure that the investigation is legitimate from the top. However, we don't live in a private system, and I think that that's the absolute definition of a slippery slope. We can't let cops decide what they will and won't investigate based on what a victim is willing to show them in their phone. Yeah, I agree. You know, I definitely understand the argument that this may cause, you know, even fewer cases of rape and sexual assault to be reported because, you know, of the anxiety that'll come with all your private information, you know, texts, emails, etc. being reviewed. But I also think there's an opportunity here to reduce the number of false accusations that, you know, do happen. Right, and I wouldn't want the cops to take a peek at my search history. I think that looking into someone's communications to verify certain aspects of the story isn't a bad thing when prosecuting or defending a case. It's not much different than asking for discovery in a case where you need to review letters, medical history, etc. But we live in an incredibly imperfect system, and giving this power to cops to determine who they won't investigate, that's a bad idea, especially when we are coerced to pay for their services. It's not wrong to demand, since we pay them, that they actually do what we pay them for without stripping our rights. I mean, this is just the wrong stage in the process to ask for such a thing. You know, and I think that the evidence that should be the most pressing would be the rape kit that's done at the hospital. Right. Physical evidence should be number one, not texts and snaps. But if you're being accused of raping someone and there's some inkling of proof that you didn't in someone's communications, I think that's well worth looking into when it goes to court. Absolutely. You know, I think at this point, there is no perfect answer to the privacy question. But I think if we let the attorneys figure it out during discovery and leave out as much police involvement and persuasion as possible, I I think that'll, you know, put us on the right track to, to, you know, getting somewhere more positive eventually down the road. Right. And since when it comes to rape, you don't have to report it and the state can't automatically prosecute it for you, you have the choice to go forward. And that discovery process would end up being more or less voluntary. And voluntary is always best. Uh, your, your, Your boy Dylan Roof is in the news again. Why is he my boy? I don't even have children. Reggie's going to be very disappointed when he hears that. But really, it's just something I say. Well, I heard that he got sentenced for his shooting in Charleston back in 2015. You know, that certainly took a while. It sure did. And he got the death penalty. Well, he killed nine people, so I guess that's not really that big of a surprise. But it isn't just the nine people he murdered. He's the first person to ever get the death penalty for a federal hate crimes case. So he killed nine people... 
and they're going to kill him back because of what he was thinking about when he killed people. Yep. I, for one, have always thought hate crime legislation is stupid, uh, but the jury's decision to put needles in his arms had to be unanimous. How did they get them all on the same team? Well, uh, Roof told the jury in, in a closing statement, quote, I still feel like I had to do it. Mm, well, that'll do it. I mean, lack of remorse isn't becoming, and it's not going to get you, you know, too far. I do think that policing people's thoughts as if they're somehow worse than their actions is kind of insane. They convicted based on thought crime, essentially. Right. I mean, don't get me wrong. This dude deserved to have the book thrown at him. But with sentencing him based on the nine shattered families and broken bodies not impetus enough to sentence him as harshly as possible, did they really need to take his thoughts into consideration? I mean, what was even the evidence that they had to convince him, or convict him, excuse me, of hate crimes? According to the article, quote, after buying the murder weapon with his birthday money, uh, Roof bought enough magazines to have 88 rounds, which had racist symbolism. 88 is an abbreviation for the Nazi salute Heil Hitler, as H is the eighth letter in the alphabet. I've literally never heard of that before, but, I mean, okay, so they have Nazi numerology, and that was the slam dunk they needed to strap this kid down and, you know, kill him, eventually. Yep, I mean, Roof was apparently willing to plead guilty if the feds would take the death penalty off the table. Assistant U.S. Attorney Jay Richardson said that this shows that Roof wants to spend his life in prison listening to the radio and writing more racist filth. If that was their reasoning to go for the death penalty instead of life in prison, that makes it feel like, you know, they're kind of trying to send a message here. I think that's exactly what they're doing. At this point in our history, they're making damn sure that people know that they aren't going to get away with being racist. Well, I think it's more important, you know, to not get away with murder, but what do I know? I mean, but that but that's not the world we live in. Should we talk about our feelings on the death penalty? Uh, maybe in a future episode. All right, that's fair, but uh, you know, if you ask me, I uh I think his parents should get the death penalty for spelling Dylan with two ends. I mean, that's fair. Do you remember when Trump was uh supposed to be against meddling in foreign affairs, coups, regime change, interventionism and all that crap? I remember our old friend Pompeo reiterated that our government is super willing to take military action in Venezuela, if need be. Here we go again. Yep. They really, really want that Maduro guy gone. And I, I love how Pompeo tries to qualify his statement that he made by saying military action is possible if it's clear that a peaceful government transition is off the table. I think that ship frickin' sailed, buddy. Like, the lame-ass coop by, how do you say that guy's name? Guido? Guido. 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 I'm going to call him Guido just for simplicity's sake. So, you know, that coup that he tried certainly, it, it just, it didn't go the way that they thought they were it was going to go. Right. Uh, Guido, if you're unfamiliar, declared himself president of Venezuela in January. However, his call for the military to defect caused mass protests and the majority of the military remained loyal to Maduro. And did you call him Guido and make a Star Wars reference on May 4th? I yeah. absolutely did. During our podcast? <laughs> All right. I, I just wanted to make sure. <laughs> But uh, speaking of the protests, um, the, those poor protesters did not have a good time. Uh, they were met with tear gas, rubber bullets, and getting plowed over by armored vehicles. So far, <sighs> um, one protester was killed, and there's about 130 people who were injured. And then you had Maduro gloat about beating down the coup. He has a little rally, and he trash talks the U.S.-backed coup. I mean, holy shoot. Why... <laughs> Why is our foreign policy always just such a complete disaster? Because John Bolton is a part of this. The fact that he's meeting with Pompeo and 
Defense Secretary Patrick Shanahan isn't giving me a good feeling about what's coming. Trump's empty promises about foreign intervention versus the deep state. I wonder who's going to win. Well, the deep state, obviously, but, you know, when they win, everyone loses. And I, I just can't believe they had the audacity to say that Bolton is, quote, executing the president's strategy of maximum pressure to achieve, excuse me, a peaceful transition to democracy in Venezuela. Yeah, because it's been so peaceful, and U.S.-backed coups are notoriously successful and peaceful. I don't know how supporting the man who's calling for an uprising can be described as peaceful either. Also, how do you cause peace out of pressure? I don't know how you say, hey, military, rally behind me so we could overthrow the government, and it's somehow peaceful. I don't know how those go together, but... Anywho... This is probably just more 4D chess that we're too stupid to understand. So, I think it's time to move on to some really weird stuff. It's time for this week in What the F- A woman glued her boobs to the road as a part of a protest in London. Like, actually glued her lady boobs to the road. Yes. Apparently, climate activists aren't messing around these days. Uh, they were trying to blockade the London Stock Exchange by gluing themselves. What's with people in glue lately? This is the second glue-related protest I've heard of recently. Uh, but they glued they glued themselves across the entrances, and I guess they even climbed on top of some train? That seems a little extreme, but, you know, maybe glue's eco-friendly, and that's why they use it. I don't know. It's biodegradable or something. These statists love their roads so much that they'll actually glue themselves to them. hey -o. Good one, bro, teen shake. I haven't, um, you know, quite figured out how ruining a perfectly good pair of boobs saved the world, or saves the world, but um, maybe we'll figure it out eventually. You're making assumptions here. These are feminists. Who said they were good boobs? That's a good point. Anywho, want to talk about my most favorite recent article? It's called Fox News Brain, Meet the Families Torn Apart by Toxic Cable News. That's, that's hilarious. Please tell me more. I will. The article details how this gentleman, Luke O'Neill, has suffered at the hands of Fox News. He first takes issue with his mother's troubling habit of watching Fox News and calls people like Tucker Carlson and Sean Hannity the most xenophobic pundits on TV. Just more buzzword after buzzword after buzzword. That's all they got. He also says that they do not discuss politics anymore because he cannot handle her cognitive dissonance. <laughs> I won't lie to you. I actually read this article. I can't believe it. Uh, it's from The Guardian, and it refers to family to these family members as being stolen by Fox News. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they stole them. So like I said, the article dives into the usual buzzword kind of stuff, you know, stating how Fox News didn't invent the white supremacy and racism at the heart of America, but they're definitely supercharging it. I'm, I'm constantly amazed that we had a black president and administration for eight years, but somehow overnight... The U.S. has become the most racist place on Earth. Same here. It's a, it's amazing, kind of. Uh, but we're going to link the full article in the show notes if any of you are brave enough to read through the whole thing. I got about halfway through, and I, I just, I have to tell you, I felt like my testosterone dropped to dangerous levels, so I had to stop. Moving on. Uh, while friendly and cute, there's a whale with secrets in our last bit of news. A whale was found in Norway and is somehow believed to have been trained by the Russian Navy. The whale was also allegedly wearing a camera holder. Okay, important question. What kind of whale was it? B beluga whale? Beluga whale. Hmm. That's exactly what I suspected. Why? Don't worry about it. Move on. 
I think the most astounding aspect of this article from the BBC is that Russia has dolphins for combat purposes and is totally open about it. What kind of combat purposes? Well, apparently they uh, they analyze the seabed, they protect stretches of water, uh, they kill foreign divers, Ooh. and attach mines to the hulls of foreign ships. That's awesome. <laughs> this <laughs> this article, you know, ironically enough, it has more information about dolphins than it does the whale that was allegedly, you know, trained by the Russian Navy. So there's much disappointment there. I'm very disappointed. All right, folks. Thank you for having a bit of fun with us and joining us on this adventure into the madness that is our world. Wait. Did you, did you have a bad week last week? Too little, too late. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Patreon at ThisIsMLGA. If you'd like to send us an email, you can reach us at ThisIsMLGA at gmail.com. Hit us up, subscribe, and make sure to rate us on iTunes. It helps us grow and guarantees new episodes. And don't forget to check out the MLGA Network. We are a small and scrappy group of libertarians that share all of the best liberty podcasts on MLGANetwork.com. Make sure to check that out. We'll have even more original shows coming your way very soon. Voluntary Vixens, and thank you for your servers. Side note, again, if you're not listening to Technoagorist, you're not living. I'd also like to shout out Ryan Burgett, Maddie P., Robbie Wright, and Adam Graham for their advice on our story about rape in the UK. We're happy to be here, and we're happy you're with us. Stay sane. And don't forget that 49 years ago today, the Ohio National Guard opened fire on unarmed protesters at Kent State killing four and wounding nine others. Never trust the government. Never trust the government. All right, is Phil gone? Good, now we can get to the good stuff. I'm Ryan Burgett, and I deserve to be here. Here is a special sample of my show, Techno-Agorist. Enjoy. My name is Ryan, and I'm an agorist. Today we are talking about genetic testing. About a week ago, the EU voted to approve a massive biometric database of people both inside and outside the EU. As you can imagine, this worries a lot of people. They don't want to be put into an enormous database and have their data used for who knows what by a massive multinational government entity. This issue isn't unique to Europe, though. Here in the US, people have been talking about creating massive databases as well, which even include genetic information. For many people, it is shocking to think that the EU or the US would create enormous databases with your face, fingerprints, medical records, genetic information, and so much more. But often these same people seem to have no problem with the same thing as long as a private company does it. I have countless friends at this point who have voluntarily given up a sample of their saliva to Ancestry or 23andMe in order to test their DNA. They want to learn about their body and their family origins. I can understand those reasons, but at the same time, I feel that the negatives outweigh the positives. My first concern has to do with the government. If government officials demanded that everybody give them their genetic information for a vast database, most people would be very concerned. They wouldn't want the police and others to have access to that information. They wouldn't want to be tracked and monitored via their DNA. The question that we have to ask ourselves today is, what stands between you and the federal government getting your genetic information if you give it to a private company? In that situation, the only thing between the government and your data is a piece of paper from the government, demanding that the DNA testing company give them the data. I have brought this objection up to friends before, and the most common response I get is, quote, What makes you think that the government doesn't already have this information, or that they can't get the information in other ways? End quote. 
I acknowledge that they might get my genetic information in other ways. I have five children, and I know for a fact that my state has filed their blood away after we gave them the state-mandated blood tests as babies. That's an awful lot of genetic information that the state has on my family. The difference between the genetic information one gives to a DNA testing company and the genetic information taken by the government is consent. I don't consent to the government taking and storing my genetic information. It is my body, and I don't want the government to hold it against me in the future, or even worse, frame me for something. But if I send my DNA to a genetic testing company, I am consenting to the sharing of that information. All of the companies have privacy statements and terms of service which lay out the uses of the genetic information you give them, and that includes giving it to so-called law enforcement when requested. My second concern has to do with a DNA testing company selling my data. This data is extremely valuable, and even if these companies promise that they won't share that information right now, we have no guarantee that they won't do so in the future. Just look at Google. There was once a day where they promised that they wouldn't sell people's personal information. Just look at how that went. What if an insurance company, for example, bought my data in order to charge me more because of certain genetic markers? There are lots of issues that I can imagine with this. My third concern regards the copywriting of my genetic information. There was a great episode of Boston Legal many years ago where a man wanted to do something with his own genetic information but was stopped by a doctor who had more or less copyrighted that information. It was that man's own body, but legally he was unable to do with his personal genetic information what he wanted to. When you voluntarily give this data to one of these companies, you risk them doing the same to you. They can copyright this information and then potentially sue you if you use your DNA in ways that they don't want you to. I don't want the state to have my genetic information. I don't want my genetic information sold to advertisers, insurance companies, or anyone else. And finally, I don't want to risk somebody else copywriting my DNA. People might or might not find other ways to get that data from me, but the difference is consent. I don't consent. My body, my choice. This is Technoagorist, episode 12.